0: We spent over a year working on the initiative, and in February, USC announced that they are going to liquidate and freeze investments in fossil fuels, and it was a huge win for students, faculty, staff, and the community in LA at large. Welcome to EcoAlarm, the podcast where we break down the major factors affecting the environment and explore what we can do to help. I'm your host, Imani.
1: And I'm your host, Bo. Today's topic is
0: divestment
1: at USC. So Imani, what is divestment?
0: Divestment is when organizations sell off unwanted investments. Divestment from fossil fuels in particular have become a central focus among corporations, businesses, and academic institutions.
1: In this episode, we'll be talking about USC's divestment efforts with special guest Nathaniel from DevSSE. The student leaders of DevSSC led a climate strike on the same day of President Folt's inauguration in 2019. This strike was the first stepping stone for USC's campus-wide divestment.
0: Following the strike, DevSSC met with President Folt and the Financial Investment Committee to discuss USC's investment in fossil fuels. At the time, 5% of USC's endowment, or $277 million, had been spent on fossil fuels. After months of hard work from the Divest SC team, USC officially announced its full divestment from fossil fuels on February 17th, 2021. We're here with Nathaniel to talk about his experience going through this whole process and what's next for the organization. We're here with our guest, Nathaniel. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We'd love you to introduce yourself and Divest SC.
2: Yeah. So my name is Nathaniel Hyman. I am co-founder and co-chair of Divest SC. Divest SC is a student and faculty and staff group that is dedicated to getting the University of Southern California to divest its endowment from uh, the fossil fuel industry.
0: Yeah. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about how that organization got started and why you thought it was important.
2: Yeah. So. Well, the reason we think it's important is because if you have a lot of money that's being invested into fossil fuel stocks, it reduces their cost of capital by keeping the price uh, relatively high, keeping their stock price relatively high. When you sell off those assets, you can actually increase their cost of capital and vice versa. When you buy up the stocks of renewables and clean technology can reduce their cost of capital by making their stock more appealing. Additionally, it makes the university some more money. So and we know that the university has been losing money through its disproportionate exposure to fossil fuels. That's why we thought it was really important. We decided to make SE because we thought that divestment was something that was actually feasible for the university. Prior to Dr. Folt becoming president, you know, USC did not have a reputation for going out of its way to do the right thing. We generally focused more on operational stuff, at least in the environmental advocacy side of campus. We would focus largely on education, transportation policy. And then, you know, after Dr. Folt's first uh, semester as president, Tiana Shaw-Wakeman, Tiana is my co-founder. And she and I decided that this this seems like uh, Dr. Folt is ambitious enough. It seems like this may be doable. So we decided to dedicate the rest of her time. This was in December 2019. She was going to be graduating in December 2020. I would be graduating in May 2021. So we decided to dedicate the rest of our time at USC to getting the university to divest and reinvest. So that was in December 19th. We sent a letter and then we were doing stuff as sort of a a disparate group for a while where it's like I was the ESA director at the time. She was representative from the Environmental Corps. We had people helping us from the undergraduate student government, people from the graduate student government, some help from the President's Working Group, the Sustainability Steering Committee. We didn't really have like one single dedicated organization. Sean and I decided to start that in June of 2020. So that's how we get, you know, what people see today as Divest SE. Yeah,
3: no, thank you so much for for sharing. It's definitely a Great mission. And we also see the importance, the increasing importance of just kind of consider the environmental problems from a financial perspective. As you mentioned, you know, it's, um, for most people, it's just simple as it's just about money, right? If the cost of capital is increased, then it's less appealing. So. Just kind of going into more of your personal responsibilities, could you kind of share with us your day-to-day? How does your skills or how how does that fit into the whole organization?
2: Yeah, I mean, my day-to-day now is much different than my day-to-day when we were more deeply entrenched in this. When we were just starting out, you know, one of the things I wanted to do and Tiana wanted to do was we wanted to make sure that we didn't develop a reputation as Like just two naive students who didn't know anything about finance coming in and telling a bunch of investors how to do their job. So, you know, we tried to figure out what is the scope of what we're trying to ask for? How feasible is it? Has it been done before? And what are the mechanics of doing that? So we learned a little bit about finance. We learned enough to like talk about it. We determined that our scope of our ask would not be so specific that, you know, we wouldn't be qualified to, to demand it and that other people wouldn't be qualified to demand it. Um, it was instead going to be very broad divest from fossil fuels. We went through indexes. So, I mean, really, I guess what the day to day was, it depends on what we were working on. Were we working on a letter? If we were working on a letter, it was a lot of research. So we'd be going through S and P indexes. We'd be sometimes sending emails to different administrators, trying to figure out different things. You know, one of our first projects was, you know, from really November, even before Tiana and I really started working on this, I was calling the old CIO's office quite often to ask what share of our endowment was invested in fossil fuels, and they would not respond. So Gianna and I were, you know, holding the first divestment rally in January, January of 2020. And at that, we decided, okay, well, it's not working when I call the investment office. Maybe if we have a bunch of people call the investment office and ask this question, it might work. So we held up a sign that said, you know, here's the, what the investment office is a number and asking them to call them and ask how much is invested. People did that. A lot of people did that. I got a phone call the next morning from the CIO telling us that 277 million was invested. Now, of course, when we had, you know, that number, when we had that number, it, our job became a lot easier because we knew that was disproportionate exposure. That's, you know, more than uh, Harvard's endowment was estimated to be about 1% exposure. We were at five. So we thought that this was a pretty uniquely large share of our endowment was in fossil fuels, and then once we had that information, it shaped our research, it shaped the questions we'd ask. We'd reach out to professors, and then if we you know we we wrote a few letters, got some resolutions passed, and all of that was just research, writing, coalition building. And you know when we started making a formal organization, that work changed a little bit. Tiana and I became more administrators, and we ran this committee that grew to about 26 people. There was a lot of strategic work in it. We had to determine what's our messaging, what's worked at other schools, what hasn't. What points do we emphasize? What points do we kind of not emphasize? What do we want our identity to be? What do we want our reputation to be? And I mean, we we made some, I think we made some interesting decisions because if you if you look at our branding, we're not, I don't think that we're like a lot of other divestment campaigns we're in. we're kind of branded like a hedge fund. And so like talking about those things, making those decisions, that was a lot of what we worked on. So it was a ton of meetings, a ton of writing, a ton of research.
0: Yeah. So it looks like, you know, you got the information, you got the team and you mentioned, you know, research. You've also mentioned getting people out there as like kind of a social activism kind of perspective. What aspects do you think were, I guess, most successful in actually getting to the end goal of divestment?
2: I don't think I'll ever fully know what, you know, was the factor that tipped it over the edge. But I can think that it could possibly be a few things. And I think the most likely answer is it's a mix of all of them. This wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for Dr. Folt really caring about this issue. And she was incredibly receptive to students who would be advocating this. She met us in her office multiple times. We gave presentations. She relayed that information to the board of trustees it factored into her hiring process with the CIO she really couldn't have been more receptive and aggressive and bold on this issue dr fultz only one member of the investment committee she's uh, she can't unilaterally make this decision so no matter how adamant she is that doesn't guarantee a favorable outcome so i think another thing that really helped is we provided a lot of economic data um economic being like we we showed them that like forget the moral implications of profiting and pouring capital into the proliferation of climate change. Forget forget that. You're putting 5% of our endowment in an industry that is underperforming the market. It's just a bad stock. You can put your money on, you can put your money like into an average, any index, just any average stock, you'll do better than you would investing in fossil fuels. It's the worst the energy sector which, you know, at the time is mainly fossil fuels, coal, natural gas, petroleum. It's the worst performing sector in the market and has been for a long time. You know, universities, had they divested 10 10 years ago, they would have have made more money. There's not really a financial reasoning to holding on to fossil fuel assets. There's just not. Even if you are the most cold-hearted capitalist, you will lose money. That really heavily factored into it. The other, you know, we also make the point about Demand for fossil fuels has been going up, has been growing all this time. That doesn't, and even then, the stock price has still been falling. So in light of a new administration, well, I think we can go over like why it was falling for the last five years, even though demand was increasing. You had less regulatory burden than you would have probably expected under any other administration. Yet it was still falling. That's largely because of the regulatory burden in other countries around the world. And also the emergence of alternatives, renewables, you know, hydrogen, nuclear, things like that. So then you suddenly have this pandemic where now economists are are predicting that we may have actually hit peak oil in 2020. Meaning that, you know, when we were doing this initial analysis where we were also finding it's a bad investment, we were under the assumption that the demand for oil would continue to grow until about 2025, 2030. And then it would start to decrease. The pandemic changed that, and now it became a more widespread belief that that peak oil had, wasn't in the future, it was in the past. So even with a lot of favorable assumptions towards the fossil fuel industry, the stock price was underperforming. You eliminate their only favorable attributes. You're holding on to a bunch of assets that are, you do not want to be holding on to. It's almost an emergency. So I think that COVID perhaps and that economic reasoning was important. But I think another thing is, you know, just because it's not enough that the university divest because honestly, any, you know, wise investor would probably divest by now. The issue is, are they going to announce it? Because when USC, let's like be telling it's $277 million invested in a multi-trillion dollar industry, you know, dispersed among, you know, who knows how many different energy stocks. If we sell, if we sold off all of those at once, it would probably have a negligible impact on the fossil fuel industry just because we just don't have enough market share. However, when a university like USC, which has a bit of a reputation for being somewhat amoral and kind of, you know, doing things because it's practical, says, oh, we dump these stocks because we it's best practices. I don't want to be holding on to these. It implies that neither should you. So that's sort of how we get to best practices. The university didn't have to release that statement. The university could have just divested and told no one, um, which is what they had done for two years, according to their statement. But they released that statement because I think they they recognized the ethical obligation they had to kind of compound what they were doing at the investment office. So I think that's really important. I don't think that's guaranteed by just the economic reasoning. That was an ethical decision that the Board of Trustees made. So I think they deserve a lot of credit for that.
3: Just before you, we had someone else on the podcast who works for the sustainability office and. You know, it's obvious that President Fultz has been pushing for these agendas, and it's definitely important to see the ethical side of things, too. So I guess I was just super curious about when you mentioned you guys are positioning to be more like a hedge fund. Could you elaborate more on that?
2: Yeah. One thing that the the Board of Trustees does not want to do anything that could be perceived as political, whether or not. I mean, I would argue consciously, well, I, I think we'll talk a little bit about this, but I would argue that consciously refusing to divest is as political as accepting divestment, as doing it. Um I don't think that you get like a free pass by doing nothing. Uh I don't think you get to avoid politics by just doing nothing. I think that uh, that's, that is an act of in and of itself. But we recognize that if we framed ourselves as, you know, a bunch of lefty, Social justice warrior, tree people. The university isn't going to be like, okay, let's move hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, that's convincing. They would probably say, I don't want to get involved in the culture war. We want to maintain an image of impartiality, and we don't want to get involved in like the politics of it. If we frame ourselves as, here's a place where you can do something that would make positive change in like the market and for your endowment, because in the end, what we are selling them on is making more money. That is an end result of what we were advocating for. So, you know, we'd always say that we had two separately sufficient reasons to divest. The first is like the ethical side. And we, and we touched on this earlier. The first, is like the ethical side, it's the right thing to do. Even if it costs something, you probably should, you should still do it because the amount of preventable human suffering that is caused by people not doing things like this is, is unimaginable. But then the other severally sufficient reasons, let again, you're, you're completely morally separated from the impacts of what you do. You'll make more money. And we could, we could describe to them how they would make more money. You know, for the people who we thought we'd be, have the most trouble reaching, we wanted to appeal to them. And that's kind of why like, you know, we're green, but we have like an arrow, like the, the, the other side of our V is like an upwards facing arrow. It's, we tried to frame it as something more positive, something less political. Something more, you know, financial. I think it increased its appeal to the people we were trying to convince, and made us a little bit less scary. But the other universities were really tied to, you know, either Sunrise, other political organizations, and we just thought, you know, although we all were very political people, and yes, we were, you know, overwhelmingly left wing, we thought that our leftism isn't the reason they should do this. Or I mean, maybe it is, but that's not the reason they will do it. But So we tried to make sure that we separated Divest as an organization and as a brand from the more political stuff.
0: Yeah. And I think oftentimes, I mean, I'm wondering about pushback still because, you know, you can look at, you know, our politicians now and you can give them, you know, the economic plea and the kind of social justice plea. And sometimes neither of those works just because of, you know, lobbying and ties. So I'm wondering if. You know, despite all of this reasoning, if you got any pushback from anyone,
2: we got pu- I know we got pushback because it took a while. But the thing was, we we didn't really that pushback didn't really come to us. We knew that there were some people who were thinking that there are a few arguments. One is like you divest; someone else is going to buy it. You know, if you sell off, if you liquidate your fossil fuel assets, someone else is just going to buy it. That doesn't, you know, have any. Meaningful impact on the fossil fuel industry. I think we rebutted that in that it's not really up for debate that massive sell offs of different stocks cause their price to drop. That's, that's not really up for debate. So the, like, even if someone buys them, if there's just a lot of selling going on, it will reduce the cost. Um, or sorry, reduce the price. Another argument is shareholder engagement. If. We own a portion of these companies and these companies are causing all this, this trouble. If we sell our share in that company, we no longer can influence, you know, how they conduct their business. And that can, you know, result in them becoming more irresponsible. This was a philosophy that's been adopted, you know, for many, many years. You know, Cambridge released a, like a 500 page study on this, you know, about shareholder engagement versus divestment. And it found, it, I don't think that the report itself, I don't think, came to a very firm conclusion. But in the end, Cambridge, the university that you know that authorized the study, ended up divesting. So the basically the reason is we've been shareholders for a while, and share people who have been shareholders of oil companies have been telling them, "Hey, stop polluting," and they can't because they're oil companies. <laughs> they're they're coal companies. They're natural gas companies. They the product they make is inherently polluting. You can't you can't decarbonize oil in, a, in the short enough term that it will prevent two degrees centigrade warning warming. You just can't. So we've, we've generally had to grapple with that argument. Another argument was, you know, what about natural gas? Natural gas is a transition fuel. And we always had to generally make this point about like if we divest, that does not mean that the ability to use petroleum is going to be eliminated. It's going to reduce their cost it's going to increase their cost of capital, which will make it harder for them to do more capital projects, will make it harder for them to drill. Like we'll it'll make it harder to drill these more capital intensive projects. Meanwhile, if we reinvest, that will increase the capacity of alternatives. So it it's it's a very transitional framework, honestly. And some people kind of, I think, mischaracterized divestment as we're a bunch of insane people who think that we can, you know, just get off the grid and and live off of hazelnut and and sunlight for, you know, the next 30 years. So that was another thing I think we had to deal with. And then, of course, there's the university's institutional links to the fossil fuel industry. Uh, there's some that exist on our board of trustees. I mean, for instance, Wanda Austin, who is the interim president, is on the board of Chevron. There's we have we have ties to the fossil fuel industry and I think that's that's likely a link. You know, for instance, we have a petroleum institute, you know, at USC. It is culturally a part it is it's part of USC's culture, the 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 fossil fuel industry. So I think that probably led to some amount of resistance. And I know that there was also some concern on the investment committee about what about jobs? Um, you know, like, okay, we're going to try to hurt this industry. Well, there are people who have jobs in that industry. And I think that's a I think that's a really Glad that that's what their objection was. I don't think that it's, I think that it's a very well-intentioned, although slightly misinformed, um, just because you go on all these transit, you look at all these transition models and like what their impact on employment will be. And it's usually net positive. So the jobs that will be eliminated will be replaced. And they usually accompany large amounts of uh, increases in subsidies to, you know, maintain people's quality of life and smooth in the transition. I think that it's misguided to believe that, you know, when the fossil fuel industry starts going the way, you know, the fossil fuel industry at large starts going the way coal did, that all these people who worked in this massive industry are suddenly going to have no economic future. I think that's, I think that's misguided. Um Although I I give them credit for being concerned with workers, because in the end, I think, you know, being concerned with low wage workers and and even mid and middle income workers a lot of the a lot of the motivation behind environmental work,
0: yeah definitely, and kind of going off of that, I guess this kind of leads into the theme of reinvestment and kind of convincing people, yes, we're concerned about these jobs, but you know the potential to have more jobs out there, so I'm just kind of curious about you know now that the divestment is kind of. Settled in, even though you know that might take a couple of years, and we'll maybe get into that. But how does Divest SC plan to go about kind of convincing USC to reinvest, or is there a reinvestment plan in the works?
2: I think the reinvestment plan is very broad at the at this moment. The statement that they put out didn't really say much. It mentioned that they want to be reinvesting an alternative source of energy. Um, that's what they told us, and we encourage that. They also mentioned the setting, they're setting up an advisory council, which will, you know, focus on these sort of environmental social governance aspects of the endowments. So I think that they're going to have to answer a lot of these questions. Um, the the response, SC, you know, we sent out an email on Monday to uh, the CIO, you know, with some follow-up questions about like, well, what what's the advisory council's authority? Who are they going to be advising? Is it just the president? Well, how much access will they have to the board of trustees and the investment committee at large? Will they be able to recommend specific stocks? Like, well, how, how specific will we allow the recommendations to be? How much information will they have access to? What will the makeup be? And all these questions are relevant to reinvestment because I think that reinvestment is going to be largely guided by the advisory council because, you know, the, it's going to take us a few years to, to liquidate all these assets just because some of these, you know, have, they, they mature at certain ages. So I think the conversation I had with the CIO indicated that it would be about three to five years that we do the bulk of liquidation. And then probably it would take about 10 years to get all the way there which to get all the way there, meaning like getting that last small percentage, which to me sounds uh, like about what other divestment commitments have received. In the absence of more evidence, we're very, very happy with that. We'll try to get that information. But yeah, really, the the role of divest SE right now is trying to get those answers and make sure that the university goes on the record about some more stuff, because we want them to the more they publicize what they're doing, the more they are obligated to do it. So we, we encourage that.
3: Yeah. So you mentioned before that USC is definitely, definitely not alone in this fight. Um, there are other schools doing it. And I was just curious if you have any advice for students at other institutions wanting to start, start a club like this.
2: Yeah. My my first advice that as we kinda of covered earlier would just be like try to disaffiliate yourself as an organization, not into individuals, you don't need to do that. But like as as an organization, try to disaffiliate it from political organizations and even environmental organizations just because you don't know if your investment committee is going to care about the environment. We know that a lot of investors really don't care about the material, non financial impacts of what how they do business. I think you can imagine what my opinion on that is ethically, but the the reality is that's how people think about it. So disentangling that from politics is probably a good strategy. Focusing on finance is a good strategy. Not to say this isn't to say that you can't talk about the environment. We talked a lot about the environment because that's also generally how you can convince people who aren't on the investment committee and that's how you can gain traction and This kind of goes into my second piece of advice, which is you want to always make sure they're responding to a question. Probably the best question, the most intuitive one is, why aren't you divesting? So if you present them and you present the public, you present the students, you present the people who donate to this endowment, that the people who are the fiduciaries of this endowment are not answering basic questions as to how they could be mismanaging that money and burning it. So and burning it for no reason. The trustees will lose the ability to say nothing by default. There's a lot of pressure on them to respond to something. It doesn't have to necessarily be hostile, but it just needs to be very clear that you're expecting a response and it needs to be clear that other people are expecting, are expecting a response. They will not be able to just say nothing and it won't look good if they just say nothing. They will probably be forced to either say, why they aren't divesting, which is going to be a really tough argument for them to make, which I think, and we've been seeing fewer schools come out with statements like that over the last year and a half, or they're going to say, we did divest. I think what's more likely is a lot of schools might be like USC, we divest, we stopped buying these assets uh, two years ago, and we're waiting for the, the assets that we have to uh, mature so we can liquidate them. Like we, they they might say that. And if they do, that's a big deal. You get them on the record saying that. So. You're, the, the point, I think, is to just make sure that they can't be apolitical and just uninvolved by default. There needs to be enough pressure so that people view their silence to speak as much volume as any statement would.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a big theme here is that, you know, beside them doing the divestment, it's really about... Are they willing to announce it? And that announcement is kind of what drives the change in other schools. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Not just other
2: so, schools, but just people's personal finances, foundations, pension funds, trillions of dollars, trillions and trillions of dollars.
0: Yeah. And that's definitely where that, you know, that impact comes in. So I guess that kind of wraps up our episode. I want to give you a chance in case you have any resources or have anything you want to shout out
2: you can follow us on instagram at divest.se for all of your divestment entertainment needs i guess we also also i recommend joining the environmental student assembly they've been pivotal and kind of central to a line i'm also biased i'm the co-director of esa uh, but anyone who is interested enough to listen to this whole podcast, definitely should check out ESA.
0: Yeah, so I really enjoyed what he was talking about in terms of, you know, it's not just about the progress that we're making at USC, but more so how we're kind of modeling behavior for other institutions, mostly other colleges, but it's just interesting to look at how this kind of relates to our own personal lives too, because every single time we make a transaction or give money, or even if you're giving money in the stock market, just like kind of assessing that and seeing, does this align with like my values in terms of sustainability and everything? Um, It's really interesting to think about.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think... know any type of socially responsible investing needs to be a collective effort for it to work Uh, i recently heard a pretty interesting point where they explained this in very simple terms why esg investing wouldn't work without majority support in the stock market so basically if socially responsible institutions such as usc divest from fossil fuels that would drag down the stock prices of these companies and making them a more attractive investment because they're undervalued for people who don't really care about social responsibilities. So I definitely agree, it needs to be a collective effort of individuals, institutions, and everybody involved.
0: Yeah, and I think that's often the case with most environmental action, you know, there's always that saying where it's like we need a lot of people doing things imperfectly than a few people doing things perfectly. And I think that always comes into play and especially with finances. So I think it's important for like, not to shout us out, but like podcasts like these and just like informing the larger public about these issues so that we can move forward as a collective and be realistic about what actually that entails and what needs to happen for change to actually occur and not for it to just be a performative thing. So yeah, that kind of wraps up our episode. If you want more information about how to support Divest SC, you can follow them at divest.sc and for more information about EcoAlarm and how you can support us, and we'll also have a couple of resources out about more about the financial aspect of everything, you can follow us at Instagram and Facebook at Eco Alarm Podcast. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can't do all the good the world needs, but the world needs all the good you can do. Bye, guys.